So we've got a next a couple of good, really interesting studies for the next few weeks as we will delve more into chapter seven um, of the book of Ecclesiastes. And there's just uh, a lot of things to consider in in this writing. One being that it, it I think it's I haven't really I have said this and I haven't said this. How's that? I think part of what this book is intending to do is to try to to get you to think um, in a way that that's not quite so black and white, either or, good or bad. Um, it's called non-binary thinking, is what it's called, or dual, non-dualistic thinking. Um, and because the the thing is is when when you think about your own life and when you and of course this is easier to do this with others but i'm purposely saying when you think about your own life um if you really do good self examination you'll recognize that there's some there's some good godly parts of you good parts of you if you will and then there's some not so good parts of you, and uh, matter of fact, and then there's maybe with some of us you have a few of those not good at all parts of you, and of course that would be really more of an earmark of our last church, um, as I as I like to say, and and so there things don't always fall well into categorical thinking of it's either this or it's that. It's either black or it's white. It's either good or it's bad. It's hot or it's cold. Now, is there passages in the scripture that call us to that type of thinking? Yes, there are. Book of Revelation is one that just came to mind. Uh, uh, you are neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, therefore I'll spit you out of my mouth. Book of Revelation chapter 2 which Jesus is saying to the church, um, excuse me, chapter 3, which Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea. And of course, he's making a very distinct point, not only to a particular church at that time, but also, I think, also to a uh, mindset that continues on today. So... Which is right? Are they both right? Are they? Does one trump the other? Do we think very dualistically, black and white? Or do we recognize that we are very diverse and very complex uh, people? Therefore, our Social situations are often very complex and very diverse. And, and sometimes it's difficult to identify the exact truth of the matter. And you can sit there and listen to a person tell you about their life, and they may not even understand their own life, and therefore they can't even really give you a good, true assessment of the, really what's going on in their own heart. Does that make any sense? Talking about who? 
I think so. I think, I think we're all that way to some degree. Um, and uh, in, in so many different ways. And, and so I think, I think that's, that's part of the, the remedy for that. If you want to even call it that, I don't even know if remedy is a good word for it, uh, is, is in, in spiritual disciplines and, and in praying the scripture. Uh, one of the scriptures, I I'm, I'm use a prayer book, and four or five times a week, part of the prayer is Psalm 51. Well, what's important about Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God, right? And it's David confessing his sin uh, with Bathsheba, which is really a great template just for us to, uh, you don't have to commit adultery to have to pray that prayer. It's a good template just for us to confess our own sin and, and, and to, uh, and what I'm finding more about when in confessing sin, it really gives you a, a maybe a little bit brighter uh, illumination or understanding or a brighter picture of who we are as people um, and how how much we really needed to be saved and How do I say this? There's a thought out there. It ran away. I'm going to chase after it. Um, and and it, to me, it's like no wonder there are days we don't feel Christian. Or we don't feel like a Christian. And I, I'm almost at times wondering if you'd never feel that way, I'm almost starting to wonder what's wrong with you. You know? <laughs> And and maybe maybe I'm taking it taking it, it too far. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, um, but what this really does for me is it points to the immensity of the grace of God and how gracious God truly is. Um, in light of the fact that I'm probably more of a sinner than I ever recognized. And like I said, this is easier to do to someone else, so I can say, I know that you're all more of a sinner than you even know. How's that? Okay, anyway. So, but things are not always so clear, cut, and dried as we want to believe that they are the the dynamic of 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 a human life uh is so unlike our computer age of input and output right and and uh there's just so many variables so and that's part of why i think this book is written for us to really contend with the different aspects of our humanity now it's easy, now, for instance, the first six, seven verses, uh, first six verses, even the first four verses, um, when it's talking a lot about death, where it's talking about the, your, the day of your death is better than the day of your birth, um, which, you know, it's almost a morbid uh, expression here. And is that comp- 
completely and totally true. But before you answer that, let me interject. Uh, If you notice, particularly, these things are written like Proverbs. If you've been reading the Proverbs, you know, there are these proverbial sayings that we have in here. It's almost as if Ecclesiastes really continued where where, where, uh, uh, the Proverbs left off. Um, and Proverbs are things that are not, are, are they always true? Are, the, are they always true? Larry says they're not. So, that's his feeling. Right. Well, I, I would agree with you. I, I don't think they're always true. I think they're things that are, they are generally true, but they they. Not all of them apply in all circumstances and in all situations with all people. The classic example, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he will not depart from it. It's a very hopeful statement, and, and I, I would rather hope in that than, than try to wing it. You know, uh, as it, we wing it as it is, I think, in, in some, you know, some stretch of the imagination. Um, but we have here, um, going back to verse 10 of chapter 6, says, whatever one is, he has already been named, or he's been named already, for it is known that he is man, and he cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. And it, it, there, there's a lot of ways to interpret that. I, one of the things I thought of, and, and, and I've shared this story probably more than I should have, but I love the story of Genesis in in Genesis, where Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night. And he's contending with God. And you have certain passages in the book of Job where Job is kind of toying with the idea of contending with God. Now, no show of hands. Well, unless you really want to. Have you ever contended with God? Or have you never contended with God that would be I that would be more of a show of hands I guess but but I I think there's a temptation to do that and and it's like God why are you doing this to me why is this happening God I don't even when you say God I don't understand sometimes it's within the the heart or attitude of contention not always but I think sometimes it is. Um, when we demand that God give us an explanation, what are we doing? Essentially, we're calling God into account is what we're doing. I don't know if you realize that. Um, and, and in the book of Job, when God finally shows up and he starts basically saying, where were you when I, when I created the earth and I did all these things? And he, he, he lists them one after another, after another, and after another. And if you know how this is done, why don't you tell me? You know, and eventually, you know, it's almost like the Job is going, he, he's like right here, but it's like, the cartoon, right? And, and by the time God is done, Job repents in sackcloth and ashes, only because of not in every case, not in every time, and not with every person, right? But there have been times I've been like right on the cusp putting it out there, and God says, don't. You know? Right.
because some of these things, that a lot of these things, I think what we're talking about, the silence, the, the learning process, so that you might be able to impart to others. A lot of that stuff, and, and hear me out on this one, or don't think I'm a heretic on this. Well, if you want to, I don't care. But um, there's not a whole lot of chapter and verse on that. That is more in him we live in. Well, there's a chapter and verse, so sorry. Anyway, that is more in him we live and we move and we have our being. Isn't it? The still small voice. I don't think the Bible was intended to cover every situation at every time and every place. Is it applicable? I think we can, we can go to it. I don't think the Bible was necessarily intended to cover every situation at every time at every single place. However, we can still go to it and, and, and try to glean something from an understanding of who God is, even if we don't have the answer. Does that make sense? Yeah, because going back to a verse in the chapter again, Jesus said, I will give you a comforter, and he will remind you of all things that I have said. And he is the spirit of truth. And so, yes, the word of God definitely companions in every situation, I think, but it doesn't always address every single situation. Right. Right. And so, you know, God in his wisdom, the new covenant, which is a covenant of of, of grace through faith calling us to walk in faith because we go to the Old Testament and we read mainly about monarchies, right? You don't read a whole lot about democracy in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, do you? So we are on a different footing and therefore in need of the still small voice of the Spirit as we navigate this world today. Does that make any sense? You got that look. I'm trying not to look at you. (laughs) Trying not to single you out. Okay. So, There are principles we can apply, but there also has to be, okay, which, what is it, Lord, that you are speaking into this situation now? I'll give you again the idea of the way Ecclesiastes is written or are you hot and cold? If you're not hot and you're not cold, I'm going to speed you out. That's pretty definitive, right? That's, pre- that's pretty black and white. 
but it's not always the case. And the Laodicean church probably really needed to hear that. The Laodicean mindset probably needs to hear that. But the church of Smyrna, which has no correction in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, I'm almost positive it's chapter 2. I think it's the second church. They have no correction. They're just encouraged. Why? Because they're going through heavy persecution. So, so while Solomon is, is, is wrestling with this, and basically the first four to six verses are ask, ask, trying to answer the question, contending with the question of chapter 12. Excuse me, I meant verse 12 of chapter 6, where it says, For who knows what is good for man in life? All the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Who knows what is good for man? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? So it, it questions like this, to me, cause me to think that in my own thinking, cause me to think in my own thinking, right? is I don't always have the right answer. For me, and this is take it or leave it, um, sometimes that first impulse is not the right impulse. Right? And it's like, it's like, you know, I am, I am forever dependent upon hearing the voice of the Spirit, which means I'm forever dependent upon praying to ask for it. You have not, because you ask not or you ask amiss, that you might consume it upon your own loss. And, and so he, Solomon is trying to give a perspective in answering that question, or these two questions. And then he goes on and he says, a good name is better than precious ointment. I, I find this to be fascinating um, because it's ointment in the New King James in the Christian Standard Bible it says perfume fine perfume you say have fine perfume in the New American Standard oh you have the Christian Standard okay um, New American Standard says olive oil ESV says Cindy if you could help us out Precious ointment, okay? So, a good, this is kind of a weird analogy. Now, this is in the form of a proverb of comparison, right? A precious ointment in the Middle East, where they did not bathe regularly. <laughs> and that's, that's where we're at here, folks. It's probably a very, very important thing to have. And they used it for burial as well. Yes. Um, all the spices. You know, I, I've met people that even not in the Middle East, um, they were in need of a precious ointment. Um, also, olive oil was, had medicinal purposes back then, which the Christian standard uses 
No, fine perfume. Olive oil is New American Standard. Okay, you switched up on me. Now I'm really confused. So it's, it's, but what is interesting here is in the Hebrew, you're not going to see this in the English, but in the Hebrew it's a play on words. The word name is Shem in the Hebrew. The word ointment or perfume or olive oil, um, precious whatever uh, fragrance, uh, is the word Shemen. One is S-H-E-M, name, Shem, S-H-E-M-E-N, ointment. Okay, so it, he's playing on words here, uh, and so using a comparison, uh, um, and the importance of a good name, I think is, we can't underestimate that. I remember one of the first times a guy was ever speaking about this that I can remember, his last name was McVeigh, and he was talking about, some of you know what I'm, where I'm going with this, uh, and this was after the Oklahoma City bombing. Was the man who was arrested and later convicted and executed was McVeigh. His last name was also McVeigh. Um, so he, you know, he, he, not even related, at least to his knowledge. But you know, he 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 had to deal with that day in and day out for at least. At least in the, the nanosecond of our public uh, atten- attention lifespan that we have, but uh, you know the importance of, of having a good name and be, the importance of, of uh, uh, when people hear your name, what do they think? It did. It meant something about you, so it described you, particularly when you have name changes. And, like you're teaching on Sundays, you're going through the names of God. All the different names of God that describe the different attributes of, of, of his character, of his power, uh, of of everything that there is about him, and so the the name is very important. What's interesting too is that P- Solomon is writing this in what is called a honor shame culture. We don't really live in an honor shame culture. Um, the best, probably the best. Uh, modern example of that would be Asian cultures today. And, you know, if you, you live overseas or even in Hawaii, I imagine you uh, uh, rub up against that quite a bit, um, where if you did anything to shame the parents, right, and what a, what a big deal that was. Even in Hispanic cultures, I remember now growing up in Southern California, that, that, that was kind of a big deal. Um, and, and so how important the name is, but it, and it's better than a precious ointment, um, but it's interesting because it is coupled with the day of death, which you brought up is the idea of the ointment that it was used to anoint the body for burial. Um, so the day of death than the day of one's birth, which is really in these first couple of verses, the, particularly the back half of chapter 7, verse 1, really describes the whole kind of topic and framework of, of what these 
first few verses are talking about. But it, it's, it's coupled with a name compared to ointment. Because the interesting thing about ointment or perfume or olive oil is, especially in that day, it was intended to do what? Cover up. It was a scent that was intended to cover up. I, I thought about this today because I didn't know this when I was young in the 70s. Um, but I remember the first time I ever went to Calvary Chapel, which the first church was, and still the first church, is in Costa Mesa, California. And when I went there, they met in the tent. And as soon as you walked in the tent, I was, I, I was hit with two things. One was the presence of God, presence of God in the place, which was incredible. Two, the overwhelming smell of patchouli oil, uh, that hippie oil, right? Which I never knew until I was an adult. You probably know this because you're, you're a little older. Patchouli oil in the 60s and 70s was used primarily to cover up the smell of weed. That's what it was used for. Right, Larry? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they didn't do that in Red Bluff. But, I mean, I didn't know this until years later. But anyway, um, but I always called it the official scent of the hippie generation was patchouli oil. I don't know. Well, A, I don't think there was smoke in the the tent. Uh, Were there some who probably came who had? Probably. I mean, it was a huge draw, and you had, it was, you had to have been there, but it was a huge draw, this huge circus tent that was packed to the gills with young people. They had bands that were playing, and then this this hippie preacher would get up and preach. Uh, It was was quite a, a, really an outpouring of God's spirit, and they, they might come in stoned and leave saved. Some of them did. Uh, but uh, anyway, the, the ointment is meant to cover up something, just like a good name is meant to cover up something, is it not? Do you always live up to your name? Just say yes, and we'll, we'll move on. No, we, we, we would like to. Uh, but sometimes circumstances, people, places, and things kind of can get the best of us, can't they? And you just hope to God nobody is around to see it, right? Or at least not too many. Anyway. Um, and, and so he's comparing that to the day of death is better than one's birth. Now, is that true? Is the day of your death Better than the day of your birth. Well, that's a pretty good answer. We will get to see God face to face. If you're ready. Oh, yeah, all roads lead to God, right? It just depends on whether you're going to the great white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ. But they all lead to God, okay? Um, Psalms 116 verse 15 says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints which the more I think about it 
the more true that rings and the more almost otherworldly it feels. And Didymus the Blind, who I think is 5th century, if I'm not mistaken, he's doing a study on this passage. And, and he says, a believer's dying day is best because it ends, uh, because it is the end and termination of evil in, in someone's life. It is the end and termination of evil. Because for the Christian, they go into the, to be absent from the body, was to be present with the Lord. Now, what does that mean? I have no idea. I think a lot of people think they know what it means, but never mind. Um, To be present with the Lord means to be present with the Lord, and I can trust in that. That means he has us. That means from the moment, well, he has us before that, but from the moment of our death, we are present with him. And I also think present with him in knowing the case, knowing so. Um, And so, um, Job, if you remember, wanted to curse the day he was born. And really, that's toward the beginning of the book. And then he had to endear all the self-righteous nonsense of his three and then the fourth friend who came along. And I think if I had had to listen to that, I would have, by the time I was halfway through it, I would have been cursing the day I was born. Um, And his wife, yeah, what an encouragement she was. Curse God and die. You know, and and, uh, the, the thing is, We, for the Christian, we don't have to fear death. I don't think we need to necessarily welcome it. In other words, I'm not in a hurry. You know, if you're in a hurry, then we we need to talk at length. Uh, You know, um, but... We will see him and... Paul tells the Corinthians, and I touched on it real, real briefly when, on 1 Corinthians on Sunday, we will know as we are known. Now we see dimly, but then face to face. And so we will know as we are known. And, and whether, can I really just completely speculate and don't quote me? Well, I don't care if you quote me. All right. Are we going to die and instantaneously know as we are known, or are we going to be in a place where we can actually begin to learn so that we will know as we are known? I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. Will there be some kind of transformation when we die? Yes, there will be. Um, And we have a new body. And uh, with the new body, new capacities. But will, will God just endow us 
And, you know, and that really could be the case because let's go back to Eden. They ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and one bite changed everything, including God feeling it necessary to set an angel on guard over the tree of life. Which fascinates me. And so, I think the answer to that could be either way. I don't know. But I think we will have such a change in who we are mentally. Um, that we will be capable of understanding more. And all that, all that bad theology that we've been taught, uh, that's, that's all going to be wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be burned. It's going to melt away. Um, and so heaven is really, there's really a lot to look forward to. But what's interesting about heaven and about the afterlife and about being present with the Lord is that the, the scriptures don't say a ton about it. And I think that's very purposeful. So, the day of death is really the capstone on the good name. You know, you probably have heard that, whatever it was, I don't know, a little poem or something written about the tombstone of the dash, right, which signifies your entire life. You know, the, your birth date, your death date, and there's a dash between that. Um, and, and, you know, even the tombstone being a monument to who, uh, for the Christian, this, and we don't think we think about these in those terms, but for the Christian, it's a monument to who we are. Present tense, even if we have passed from this life unto the next. And so, you know, I, I guess when I think about this, I just hope that when I do pass that I don't have many regrets. You know, um, I think I will have some. Um, I don't know what they will be, but... Nonetheless, too, um, Psalm 90, verse 12, tells us to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I, I was, this verse was going through my mind on Sunday. And I, I'm, I'll say it. I didn't want to say it on Sunday. Uh, but I, I feel like part of what I'm supposed to do here is to prepare us for eternity, which means to prepare us for our ultimate deaths. Each of us. Which, that doesn't feel good, to be honest with you. It, it's, it's troubling. And, 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 but it's reality, isn't it? It is our reality, it, and it is our destiny. Nobody gets out of this world alive. Because I'd rather think about the day of my birth being happier 
But my goodness, I wouldn't have wanted to go through my childhood again, not for, and, and probably most of you wouldn't. At my teenage years, you know, my years in the military, you know, I mean, all of, I wouldn't want to go back through that again. But to know then what I know now, hopefully, right? What's that? Which I didn't know now, what I didn't know then. Against the Wind, Bob Seger. Yeah, it's one of my favorite songs, actually. So, um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's this idea of wrestling with, I think we gravitate toward our youth. We're, we have a, I'll be with you in a second, Jeff. I think we gravitate to our, toward youth. We have a very youth-driven culture. And let's face it, most 20-somethings, they don't know from Shinola, okay? They don't. They don't know anything. And it's just like, oh, my goodness, you know? And, and of course, I'm still in denial because I can't believe I was that way in my 20s, right? And, of course, Bill wasn't, right, Bill? No. He, he's sitting there with his arms folded across his chest. Not, not me, Mike. I don't know what you're talking about. I had it together, you know. And, and, and yet we are a culture that worships youth. But I want to be the best possible Christian that I poss- best possible that I possibly, right, uh, that I can possibly be before I die. Which means I've got a ways to go, a long ways to go. But, and, and that's what I mean about the, the regrets, too. Um, uh, because from what I, I understand of Scripture, particularly with Paul addressing the judgment seat of Christ, that there's something about this world and our life here that will have a direct bearing on the, the age to come and our life in the presence of God in eternity in the age to come. And, and so, and, and that, I'm going to pick on you guys. Well, I'm going to pick on the doctrine. That's where I get really in a knot about some of these people are, oh, we're just going to get raptured. We're just going to get raptured. I don't care. We're just going to get raptured. Well, well, you're missing the point. You're missing the point because God wants to prepare you for eternity. And I think God wants to, to part of presenting us, the church, as the bride uh, without blemish and without spot and and is so important, and, and when, when, we, when we gravitate toward, well, we're just going to get raptured anyway. Um, I, I've heard that, used, that phrase used for years and years and years and used so irresponsibly. Um, and that's not even the doctrine's fault. That's the, peop- that's the, misha- the people who mishandle. Uh, that understanding of Scripture, even though I don't really agree with it, I nonetheless I'll respect it enough to say it's not the fault of the people who developed it. But they're, they're, you know, they're, because that's very close to pie in the sky type of mentality. 
so I can live any way I want to live, and God's just going to get me out of this. Yes, and, and I think, yes, there, there is this idea of passing it on, and the idea, of, and on Harv, you mentioned that earlier, the, the idea of passing it on um, is really important. But I think equally as important, maybe more important, and I, my personal take probably more important, is is it a offering, a sacrifice of praise to God during your lifetime? And I, I, you guys think I'm teasing you. I, I'm trying to get out of the pastor section, okay? <laughs> I know a whole lot of pastors that I do not want to live next door to in heaven. I'm serious, okay? Um, uh, and that's okay. Verse 3, and then let's finish. Um, Sorrow is better than laughter. So, Tim, I'm going to go over just a little, just a little, Harv, just a little, Okay. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. What it, excellent. Okay. So you're going to get lynched alongside of me if you don't keep that up. But uh, so is sorrow better than laughter and a sad countenance uh, the heart is made better? What does that mean? There is little depth to one who pursues happiness, is what you're saying, I think. Well, I, you know, I, we, we have a friend, right? We have a friend, and, and her brother-in-law calls her Pollyanna. And you know what I'm talking about. She has a very Pollyanna faith, and, and you know, never wanting to deal with, with the tragedies of life and and of course oh it doesn't matter because god's gonna the lord's gonna come back anytime anyway right which drives me crazy after a while but but um she loves the lord she loves the lord with all her heart with all her mind with all her soul and with her strength she does i'm convinced but it's a mile wide and an inch deep Do you see the difference? The container is small. It's filled to the brim, but it's a small container. It's a small vessel. She's my age. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know her in her 20s, and I thank God, the creator of heaven and earth. That I, anyway, but, but the container is small. I, I love this woman. And some people are wired that way, or some people in their mind have been purposed to be this way. But that type of a heart cannot produce the 150, well, not all 150 were written by David, but that type of a heart cannot produce the Psalms. It doesn't have the capacity. And I think in sadness... In depression, even. And there's different forms of depression. I, be, I believe there is such a thing as spiritual depression. And I think sometimes God allows that because he's looking to deepen and widen your container. 
and and without you going through those times of real sadness because sadness for by a sad countenance the heart is made better notice the word better is used quite a bit in this early part of the chapter but the heart is made better um it has a sense of development it has a sense of deeper understanding um it's not just looking for the party and and that that takes us into it in into verse four the heart of the wise the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning that could refer to even going into the a house of someone who has died uh, but the heart of the fools is um, in the house of mirth in other words they they uh, it, it's a different aspect of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Now, that was in, in the context Jesus gives us that illustration. I believe it's in the book of Luke where the guy had an increase in his yield, so he built bigger barns, right? Tears his barns down, eat bigger barns. Now, he's going he's gonna to take, take everything easy. He's going to live a life of leisure and, and then... That what's said to him is, eat, drink, and be merry, for to, eat, and tomorrow you're going to die. And tonight, thou soul is required of thee, right? And, and so, um, it's really goes back again, and I've already referred to it. I'm almost done, Tim. Um, the, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom often comes at a price. If you think about it. Wisdom is given to you when you have those quiet hours, the dark nights of the soul where you're trying to think through things and reflect on things and you have absolutely no answer that other than as Job said, though he, pray, though he slay me, yet I will still trust him. And when you go forth from a heart of though he slay me, yet I will still trust him, then, then that, to use the old Pentecostal saying again, that puts you under the spout where the glory comes out. And you put yourself in a place where you really can be instructed by God and be shaped by him. Because while each and every moment of each and every day, I think, matters incredibly to God in our life, our eternity with him matters even all the more.